0: Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. It's
1: it's fun that um, Pastor Travis and Tina are at this Marine Corps thing. They're actually in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which I think is a pretty awesome place for any sort of military reunion. Um, and I've, you've heard me talk about this before, and some of you are probably tired of hearing me say it, but it's, it's, it's an, it's, I don't think a lot of us appreciate how amazing it is that we have a pastor that's a Marine. <laughs> and what I mean is this. Um, you know, some of you know my wife and I spent a lot of years in ministry with with crew um, used to be known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And, and so, you know, we, we, we present ourselves at churches as these very capable lay people that have lots of training and lots of experience and able to do a lot of things. And it's interesting because lots of the churches that we've been in over the years, either the pastor or the board or whoever, is it, like strangely intimidated by that. It's like, you know, we don't need another pastor David. It's like, well, I don't want to be another pastor. I mean, you know, I spent four years in med school not to be a pastor, I mean, that would be kind of silly. Thank you, Brandon. Um, I'm just here to help and do whatever. And, you know, if if you're uncomfortable with that, then I'll find somewhere where it's okay. And and, and the cool thing about being in a church where the pastor is a Marine is, is you know, first of all, he's not intimidated by much. Right. I mean, he's married to Tina, so I should tell you something <laughs> right there. Um, and, and the thing about being a Marine is he's, He's, he's used to being surrounded by strong, capable men and women. Because imagine if he's a Marine and he's out leading this unit and he's handpicked this unit uh, uh, of, of just these, th- these weak, wimpy slobs that don't know what they're doing because that makes him feel important. I mean, how long would he survive in any sort of real combat situation? You know, I mean, it, just, it would be over before it started. Because they'd be running for the hills, or they'd try and do something and get it wrong, or whatever, and, and it would be the end of it. You know, and he understands, as a Marine, that the way he survives in a combat situation is by surrounding himself by strong, capable people. Right. And so as a pastor, he's perfectly happy with the fact that he's got this long list of capable laymen that he can call to fill in when he's gone. You know, yeah. there, there's Bo, there's Bishop Tundegg, there, there, there's Rick. There's, there's all kinds of guys, and I just happen to be on that list. And so the fact that that list is so well populated means it's kind of a big deal that I'm up here. Not that I'm a big deal, but, you know, somebody had to do it. Um, and, 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 and so it's really, to me, that's really important, um, that, that, that we have a pastor that's okay with that. And it kind of fits in with what we're talking about this morning, um, because this morning, we're talking about spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. And the fact that, that, that each one of us has a gift, we all have different gifts, and it's important that we all function in those gifts. Because when we're all doing what God made us to do, that's how we function well, as a body of Christ. And just like in a family. I mean, let's say that Dave gets home one day and Sienna just says, I decided not to cook today. I mean, they would just die because, you know, I know Dave well enough to know they'd just be dead. Sinessa, sorry. I never never say her name right. You know, I mean, it would just be, you know, and and obviously you can tell that Dave's not underfed, so she's doing her job. Um, You know, and it's the same way with George and Nancy. I mean, if Nancy decided that she was just going to leave, I mean, George would just shrivel up and die. I mean, in reality, he'd just go over to one of his kids' house and he'd be all right. It's not good for man to be alone. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts in the church. And we're going to talk about three, three different things about spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about the fact that a spiritual gift is a divine empowerment given to each believer by the Holy Spirit to build up the body of Christ. So a spiritual gift is a divine empowerment. It's, it's not something that comes out of our natural abilities, although our natural abilities play a role. But it's a divine empowerment. It's a special ability that we're given by the Holy Spirit. Each believer has one. Every person in this room who's a believer in Christ has a spiritual gift. You might not know it. You might not know what it is. But you have it. And it was given to you by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about how it's important that we understand what that is and how it works. But also, just as we receive Christ through faith, we receive our spiritual gifts by faith. And it's by faith that we're able to do these things um, that are beyond our natural abilities. See, the, the whole thing about, about, about faith is the, 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 the life in Christ, our walk with God, is not based on us doing stuff. It's based on us doing things by faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, A, without faith it's impossible to please God. Other places in Scripture it says in different places that anything that's not of faith is sin. So anytime we try to do something in our own ability, apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from faith, it's not going to be pleasing to God. And, and, and it's most likely, of, of, if it's not of faith, then it's sin. And it's by faith that we receive these gifts, and it's by faith that that... That we accomplish these things that God has given us to accomplish with these gifts. But finally, just as we grow in our walk in Christ by faith, so also we grow in our ability to use these gifts by faith. It's, it's a matter of learning to rest in God, to trust in God, and by faith we do all these things. And we read Hebrews chapter 11. And by faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, all these different people did this. Enoch and and Rahab and all these different people, by faith, accomplished these different things. And, And people sit around and say, well, faith is just this, you know, this ability to trust without any sort of evidence. Well, there's Hebrews chapter 11. All these people did all these things by faith. And then you read Hebrews 12, and what does it say? I urge you, therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercies, it it, it talks about this cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded by. Surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Who's this cloud of witnesses? All these people in chapter 11 that went before us. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, go out and do the same. Go out and trust God in the same way that they did. And so it's by faith that we receive these gifts, and it's by faith that these gifts are grown. And so there's lots of different passages in the New Testament that talk about our spiritual gifts, but I want to spend some time this morning in the book of Ephesians. So the book of Ephesians, Paul's talking to this church in Ephesus, and it had, it had a lot of people that were Jewish believers, and it had a lot of people that were, that, that were, that were Greek and Roman believers, and they were having a hard time getting along. So a big thing that Paul's talking about in the book of Ephesians is unity and this notion of of, of coming together. And so starting in verse 4, it says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But... To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, and he's quoting Psalms, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And then it down to verse 11, it says, it is he who gave some to be apostles and some... Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So this is one of the places where it provides a short list of spiritual gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But, it, but more importantly, it talks about why these gifts are given. And that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about. These spiritual gifts are given to prepare God's people for works of service, God's people, all of us, so that the body of Christ might be built up. He's saying this to the church in Ephesus, but it applies just as much to Grace Church in Rupert. God gives all these people in this church spiritual gifts so that the people of Grace Church can be prepared for works of service, so that Grace Church can be built up and become the, thing that, that God, become the thing that God has us to be and accomplish the things that God had, wants for us to accomplish as a church, as individuals, and as a church. And it's a result of everyone functioning in their gifts, using their gifts, trusting God to grow their gifts to be able to get this done. And we're going we're gonna to talk about how this works. But here is... Um, Where are we? Here we have a short list of spiritual gifts. This is an. There it is. It's an incomplete. Like I said, there's all these different passages in the New Testament that that list these different spiritual gifts, and none of them are exhaustive. So you got to go here and here and here, and you can pull together a list of gifts, and you can write a longer one than this. Um, Anytime you're Talking about you know this that and the other and classifying things and whatnot. You're going to have people that lump things together and split things apart and whatever. But here's a basic list of spiritual gifts. We've already talked about apostles and prophets. There's this notion of the gift of discernment. Some areas in Scripture talk about discerning between spirits. There's the gift of teaching. There's the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. Uh, The Bible talks about speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. Uh, miracles, healing, administration, and service. Now, how many people in this group this morning would describe themselves as an ordinary human person? You're ordinary. You're you know you're nothing special. You're just a human. You checked. You did the twenty three and Me, and they said yes, you're human. If anyone had a different experience, we can talk outside later. So being an ordinary, imperfect human, when we, look at this, when we look at this list, what do we tend to do? We tend to go, huh, that list is pretty cool. That, that, that gift there, that's all right. I think it would be cool to have that gift. That, that gift there is kind of dumb. That sounds kind of boring. Who'd want that gift? And I know a guy that has that gift, and he's pretty cool. I know another guy that has that other gift, and he's a jerk, so I probably don't want that gift. That's what we do, right? 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 Yeah. That's the other nice thing about having a Marine for a pastor. You know, he has this shirt that he likes to wear, broken but getting better. How many people in here are broken? If your hand's not up, you should be. We're all busted up. We're all messed up. That's the reason we're here, right? I mean, I grew up in one of those churches where you're not supposed to be busted. It's like, well, what's the point of going to church then if you're not busted? I mean, that's the deal. And so we look at this and we think, well, you know, there's some gifts up there that are pretty cool and there's some gifts up there that are kind of stupid. But, but here's the thing. Two important things that we want to see about this list. First of all, these gifts are given to us by God. These gifts are given to us by God. And he didn't ask. You know, when we receive Christ, whether we pray to receive Christ or we're confirmed in our church or whatever it is, however it is that we receive Christ, lots of people have different ideas about how this happens. But when we receive Christ and we're dwell with the Holy Spirit and we're given a gift, God doesn't give us a menu. Which gift would you like to have today, sir? He just gives us a gift. He doesn't even consult us. And and the thing about it is, is is we might have a gift that we don't like. And, And you actually see that in Scripture. You know, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah spends half his time in the book telling God he doesn't like what he's having to do. Why am I having to talk to these people? Why am I having to say all these mean things to these people? I don't like this. But yet... There's this fire shut up in my bones and I can't not get it out. Anybody here hear of a guy named Jonah? Right. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. What does he say? Nope. Don't want to. Do you know anything about them people? No, I ain't going to them. So he tries to run away. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I ain't going to do it. Can't make me. Okay. So he gets swallowed by a whale. The whale vomits him up on the beach. Are you going to Nineveh now? Okay, fine. You know, and so he goes to Nineveh and says, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy you. And then what does he do? He sits up on the hill and waits for God to destroy them. And what do they do? They repent. And he pouts. God, kill me. They pout. They didn't repent. They repented like... They did what I told them to do. This is terrible. And God's like, why do you think I sent you there in the first place? What's the matter with you? You look at Paul's life. There was things that God asked Paul to do that he wasn't really excited about. You look at Jesus' life. There were things that God asked Jesus to do that he wasn't excited about. Garden of Gethsemane, remember that? Was he excited about what was waiting for him the next day? Here he's the omniscient God of the universe. He understands what's about to happen to him. And he's like, are you sure about this, God? I mean, I know that you're in charge, and this is what you sent me here to do. But, you know, just last 11th hour check, is there some other way we can do this? Because this is going to suck. But he did it. So, So God gives us a gift, and we don't get to choose. He gives us a gift. And here's the other thing. The gift that we have is given to us by God. So to sit back and look at somebody else's gift and say, I wish I had a gift like Raul. His gift is pretty cool. Well, that doesn't make any sense because the same God that gave Raul his gift gave me my gift. That's right. So my issue is not with Raul. My issue is with God. How much good is that going to do? God, why didn't you give me a cool gift like you gave Raul? That's not fair. <laughs> but we do that. God has given us a gift that we that we need, not the gift that we want, because God has given us this gift that we need to experience the best that He has for us as we serve others. Some of you that that, that have been following our Wednesday night services, either here or online, heard me preach a lot last year on this notion of Jehovah Jireh. And, and this idea of, you know, Abraham was going to Mount Moriah, so he assembled nine companions you know, a dwarf and elf 4 hobbit. Oh, wait, wrong story, sorry. He went to Mount Moriah, not Mount Moriah. He went to Mount Moriah, and he was going to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, and he's standing there, knife in hand, ready to do it, and God says, stop. And then there's this ram caught up in the bush. And, and so he sacrifices the ram, and he gave God a name on Mount Moriah, Jehovah-Jireh. And in the, the King James Version, it describes this name as, and God saw on the mountain and provided. And, and, and modern translations have just, have just translated that, and God provided. And so we sing songs, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. But yet that's not what the word means. The, 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 the second half of the word that, that, gets, that gets written Jireh in the, in the name is the word Ra'ah. And the first time that word appears is in creation. And God saw that it was good. So this notion is God seeing, and because he sees, he provides. So the reason he gave us the gifts that he gave us is because he saw what our life was going to be like. He saw what our needs were going to be. More importantly, he saw what the needs of the people around us were going to be, and he gave us the gift that we needed to have. But the other thing that's important is the reason why we were given these gifts. See, the gifts that were given us are for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. They're not for making us feel more important. They're not for building our self esteem. They're not for letting us be one of the cool kids. They're for building up the body of Christ, encouraging people around us, helping the body to function as it should. However, what you will find is as you function in the gift that God gives you, you will do things that are very important, your self-esteem will be elevated, and you will never live a more fulfilled life than when living out the gifts that God gave you as he intended, accomplishing these things that he wants you to do. See, and then these gifts are received by faith. And so this is a familiar passage that we know about, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. We just might not have thought about it this way. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. See, here's, their, here's that concept again of Jehovah Jireh. God saw... The word there for forenew is the Greek word prorizo, to look over the horizon. God saw that we were going to receive him, that we were going to be his children, and so he predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. He saw us and provided what we needed to be conformed to the likeness of his son. See, receiving these gifts by faith means that we, that we believe that God truly has our best in mind and is giving us what we need to be who he has intended us to be. You know, there's so many people out there that are writing books and doing stuff on TV saying, you need to live the best life God has for you now. Be the best you you can be for God. And it involves sending them money and buying their books and stupid stuff like that. In reality, God wants us to be the best that he intended us to be, but it's not about buying somebody a stupid book or sending somebody money. It's about trusting him and living in the gifts that he's given us. Trusting in this means that we'll live the life God has for us, which is more glorious than anything we could possibly imagine. See, and we do these things thinking that we're going to serve God and we're doing all this amazing stuff. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about where that leads. The book of Isaiah says the best we could possibly do, the most amazing deeds we could possibly accomplish, the, the biggest amount of righteousness we could ever accomplish. What is the, what does the book of Isaiah call that? This is the big pile of filthy rags. Well, this was, this, this is a translation tradition that comes from King James. They were kind of proper people back then. They didn't like to say things that were, that were vulgar and harsh and rude, The the filthy rags he's talking about is the sort of cloth that a woman would cover herself with during her time of the month. And we have other words for that on Wednesday night, we can say that. We don't say that on Sunday morning. <laughs> but it's a nasty pile of rags. And that's the best of our righteousness. And God has this stuff for us that's more glorious than we could possibly imagine. Paul in Philippians 3 is talking to the Philippians and, 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 and telling them about all the things that he did before he came to Christ. I was, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. So the original kingly tribe of Israel, um, I was circumcised on the eighth day, I did all these things, I was a Pharisee, I kept the law, I accomplished all this stuff. And he he just kind of goes on. I'm talking like a crazy man here, just bragging about this stuff. And he says, you know something? All these certificates, all these trophies, all these diplomas, all these attaboys from the boss doesn't amount to anything but a pile of rubbish, it says. Again, going back to these proper British King James types. And really what he's talking about is a pile of stuff you find in the bottom of an outhouse. Again, this is Sunday morning. Wednesday night we talk about this stuff. And that's the best that we could do. God has something for us that's far more glorious than anything we could possibly imagine. But then these gifts that God gives us are not just received by faith, they're grown by faith. So in 2 Corinthians, there's a passage that we're familiar with. Um, If if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things are gone and the new things have come. And and when we read this passage, a lot of us have this idea that what this is saying is is Billy Batson is standing here and he says, Shazam, and boom, he's Captain Marvel. And that when you become a Christian, that's what happens. Boom, wham-bang, you're a new person. Everything is completely different immediately. Well, you ask the person that's working next to you two weeks after you got saved, and I'm certain they're not going to say that everything about you is completely different. So is the verse wrong? Well, no. You're a new creation. We're new spiritual babies, newborns, in fact. You know, Paul in in 1 Corinthians, talking to these knuckleheads in Corinth, says you guys are a bunch of spiritual babies, meaning you're not learning things. I'm having to keep feeding you these, these basic concepts because you're not figuring it out. I'm feeding you spiritual milk and I've got a slab of beef over here. I'm waiting to, to, to cut up and grill up and give to you as soon as you figure this out. See, when we become a Christian, we're brand new babies in Christ and we have to relearn everything. We have to relearn everything about our life. And as we relearn those things, we grow in Christ. How many people have gotten a new car And and it took you three months to figure out all the new knobs and buttons and things like that. Well, now we're talking about a whole new you. And we're way more complicated than that. I mean, some of us, some of us are pretty simple. But still, way more complicated than a new car. And we think this is going to happen overnight. You can't even figure out how to drive a new car overnight. And in the same way, as we grow in Christ, we discover our spiritual gifts. It's like we're just, you know, how many people have bought their kid a gift and, and, and you just kind of sit it in the room to see if they find it. And all of a sudden you hear this, what? And, and it's the same thing. We're just kind of tooling along in life. And all of a sudden, as we grow in Christ, it's like we do something that we never imagined that we could possibly do. And it's like and it's like, wow, how did I do that? And then we try to do it again. But then we do it again. And all of a sudden we're figuring out, oh, I've got this. This must be my spiritual gift. Wow, this is really cool. And, and th- these, these gifts are spiritual gifts. They're not natural gifts. They can be an outgrowth of our natural abilities that we're born with, but the way they're used and the way they affect other people is spiritual, and it's, and it's spiritual growth that has to occur. Our faith allows them to grow and flourish. Our human effort distorts them into something God didn't intend. So the, how many people have seen the movie, Chariots of Fire? One of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it was really big back in the 80s when it came out. Um, it tells the story of two British runners, Scotsman Eric Little, who was also a famous missionary to China and, 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 and the, 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 the British Jewish individual Harold Abrams, um, who ended up being an, an incredibly famous runner. Both competed in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Um, But they ran for very, very different reasons. Um, When when his friends asked Harold Abrams, why do you run? He says, it's really more of an obsession, an addiction, uh, a weapon. A weapon, a weapon against what? A weapon against being Jewish. My running and competing and succeeding is forcing the British gentry, who had this sort of soft anti-Semitism, to accept me and allow me into their society. Eric Little, someone asked Eric Little, why do you run? I run because God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. There's this famous episode in the movie. Some people watch it and think this is just something they made up for the movie, but it actually happened. He's, he's competing in a, uh, in a 400 yards race. This is the old days before the metric system. He's competing in a 400 yards race. And the real... Um, Race. It was a, a three-way meet between England, France, and Scotland. But in this one, it was just Scotland and France that was competing. And it's a 400-yard race. About 50 or 100 yards into the race, he gets pushed off the track and falls on the track. He gets up, takes off running, and wins the race. Actually happened in real life. Why did Eric Little run? God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. If you watch film of Eric Little running, he was an ugly runner. You would not, if you're a coach, you would not want your runners to run like like Eric Little. He was ugly. I mean, flailing his arms and throwing his head back, nothing about how he ran made any sense. God made him fast. And when he ran, he felt his pleasure. Harold Abrams employed the best track and field coach in the world of, the, of that day, Sam Musabini. And the stuff that, that Sam Mussabini taught Eric Little, the, the Olympic team continued to use for years. And that's how Harold Abrams became successful. He had all this other stuff that he had to do to continue to be successful. People wanted to hang out with Eric Little because he was just amazing. He, was, he, he loved God, he loved people, he did this and the other People described Harold Abram as arrogant, and pugnacious, and stubborn. And you know they wanted to hang out with him because he was this amazing track and field guy. He ended up becoming the elder statesman of British athletics and a very famous uh, sports journalist. And when he died, it was a national holiday in England. Eric Little, after competing in the Olympics, went back to China with his family to, to the mission field, um, took, his, took his belongings in a coffin, legend says because that's the only way he was coming home and died in occupied China and all England mourned. That's the way it is with our spiritual gifts. If we take our spiritual gift and we do things because this is, I mean, this is, this is what I do. I do this, so I do it to the best of my ability. That, that doesn't always work out so well. But if we do this thing because this is what God made me to do and when I trust him and do it, I feel God's pleasure. People are drawn to us. People are ministered to. See, when, see our, when, when, when our faith allows these gifts to grow and flourish, our human effort distorts them into something God didn't intend. Our faith allows our gifts to minister to and bless people. Our human efforts cause our gifts to annoy and injure people. Let me say that again. Our faith allows our gifts to minister to and bless people. Our human efforts cause our gifts to annoy and injure people. And we really hope that it's more of the former than the latter. Although enough of the former leads to the latter. Yes, that was funny. So what are my gifts? How do you figure out what your spiritual gifts are? Well, there's a number of ways that you can do this. Um, You can take a test. We had the little thing that Jay talked about. I had no idea this was happening next week. But in our growth track program next week is step three. And part of what we do in step three is you take this test, this little spiritual gift inventory. These were, a number of these were developed back in the 80s and 90s. Saddleback Community Church, Rick Warren, 40 Days of Purpose, Purpose Driven Life, all that kind of stuff. um, Developed a number of these back in the day. And for some people, these are really helpful. Uh, You take this test, and, you know, how do you respond in this situation and that situation? What do you like to do here? What do you like to do there? And, and, bing, your spiritual gifts are most likely da 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 -da. And for a lot of people, that really works. Other people are like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And that's fine. Um, So I would encourage you, if you're the sort of person that, you know, fills out personality surveys in the back of Reader's Digest, and those are really helpful, that's fine. Um, I'm one of those people, so don't laugh at me too hard. Yeah, I heard you over there, Teresa. But what's some other ways we can figure out our spiritual gifts? Because, you know, this is not, Christianity has never been one size fits all, right? right. Um, so when my wife and I were on staff with crew, there was this famous teacher out of Dallas Seminary by the name of Howard Hendricks. Um, he's, since, he's since died. Um, and he was just this homespun country boy that would just stand up and just say these simple homilies. And yet there was just a depth of profundity. That was just amazing. And, you know, he and his son wrote books on mentorship and all kinds of things. Um, but, but he used to have people come to him and say, you know, Prof, I can't figure out what my spiritual gift is. And the first thing he would say is, why are you so hung up on finding out what your spiritual gift is? Because you're just sitting around in church not doing anything. Um, and, and so, you know, he would finally, he, just, he, he said, here's what you should do. Go try something. And and, and if you don't like it, then stop doing it and try something else. And keep trying different things until you find that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, that thinking about it keeps you up at night, and do it. And if it makes you feel better, call it your spiritual gift. Because he was saying this at a time when people were kind of hung up on this notion of finding their spiritual gift, but yet they weren't doing anything about it. Why aren't you doing anything? I don't know my spiritual gift. I can't serve in the church if I don't know my spiritual gift. Well, where does the Bible say that? Right. Go serve in the church. Figure out something that you do well. And if it makes you feel better, call it your spiritual gift. And there's nothing wrong with that. And for a lot of people, that is, that is how you do it. Because there's some people that, that that's, you know, some people will look at a bolt and they'll go, that's a 3-8. So they grab the 3-8, they put it on there, and it works. Other people, you know, have to try every socket In the box, oh, that's a three-eighths, okay. Uh Right? So, you know, that's okay. But then there's a third way. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, and there's the gross track thing. So go do that. July, next week, 845, be there or be square. But there's a third way to figure out what your gifts are. And when I was kind of going through all the spiritual gift stuff when I was a kid in youth group, this was, this was a big thing, and this was actually talked about a lot, um, is to look at those negative things that I talked about, those things, those ways in which you annoy and injure people, because these are often very distinctive. Most of the time, they're quite unintentional, and they'll be instantly recognized by your family and friends. So they can join you in your efforts to figure out your spiritual gift. See, it's building community through your own idiocy, which comes naturally to most of us. So through faith, we use our gifts to minister to people as God intended, and through human effort, we misuse our gifts, often leading to frustration and not seeing lives changed as God intended. I remember back in the day, they used to call these the the carnal manifestations of your spiritual gift, which sounded really churchy. So what does this look like? This misuse. The general idea is is to think about what would this spiritual gift look like if the person were just simply trying to operate in this gift without faith. They're just trying to muscle through it and get it done and figure it out just in their own human effort. So I'm an effective organizer, but I often get caught up in the minutia of a project worrying that everything might not get done. My focus is so task-oriented that I don't appreciate the people helping me to accomplish these tasks. In fact, I come up with these brilliant plans for getting things done, and nobody wants to come help me. And they even whisper behind my back that I might be a jerk because they're not attending to these details that I know are important. If they just follow my plan, it would get done. This is the spiritual gift of administration. I had no idea what that looked like my entire life. I'm, I read that in the Bible, the spiritual gift of administration. What in the world is that? And then I moved to Idaho, and I met the Wright sisters. And there is the perfect example of the spiritual gift of administration. Because at Grace Church, if you want to get something done, you float the idea to the Wright sisters. They'll look at it and decide if it's something that they can do or not. And if they decide that they can, it will be done. Because people with the gift of administration are the people who organize the big projects in the church. They're not always comfortable with being up front. I mean, you'd have to hogtie Raleigh and Sir and drag them up here kicking and screaming <laughs> to get them to stand in front of the church. But they're extremely capable. And when they're acting in faith, they make sure the people helping in their projects are well cared for. Right. How many people have helped out with OCC already this year? Or at some point? How many of you in doing so have felt well cared for? And that's how it works. That's how the gift of administration, when done in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, looks. You want to be part of this project. You want to be part of it, and you want to get things done. Not that Sarah is a little bit competitive about certain things. Not that she cares about the fact that our church is doing way more boxes than anybody else. That's another situation. But we have a good time doing it. And we're well fed. So here's another one. Again, I'm just reading this. I'm not saying anything. I'm an insufferable know-it-all. I wanna make sure that you know that I know something. I might even be a font of useless trivia with little to no practical import, but I'm going to let you know what I know, whether you want to know or not. And I might even have a PowerPoint in my pocket. (laughs) Yes, that was autobiographical. So these are teachers. Teachers know stuff. And not only do they know stuff, they want you to know the stuff that they know. Right. And if they're functioning in the flesh, I don't care. <laughs> You're hacking in the woods. Oh, look here. This is a... Wait, why are you still going? You should be... I don't care. But teachers are fonts of knowledge and they're able to take complex subjects and break them down so that people can understand. They just need to make sure that people care about what they're talking about (laughs) and that they include lots of practical information to go along with all of their worthless trivia. Yes, I just synopsed my life for you. (laughs) Here's another one that will ring true for a lot of people. I need to be needed. I'm always looking for something to do and I might sometimes butt in where I'm not needed. Although I'm quite capable, I tend to be a little overzealous at times and struggle with maintaining good boundaries. Hey, you look like you're kind of wrestling with You get away from me, I'm fine. Oh, hey, you're not really doing that right. Stop, take a step back. If I need you, I'll call you. This is a really important group of people. These are people with the gift of service. If people with the gift of administration are the planners, then those with the gift of service are the doers. Folks with the gift of service are often carpenters and plumbers and other tradespeople, but first and foremost, they're willing to help wherever needed. They may be very comfortable with behind the scenes work and they're often easy to overlook and take for granted, which they're often okay with. But the thing about people with the gift of service, if they're functioning in their gift, if they're functioning in the spirit, needs will be presented to them and they will just do it and people will be like how did you figure out that that needed to happen oh i just i just did it and all of a sudden you'll they'll be knocking on your door going i heard you need a new hot water heater and let me go take care of this for you and you're like i didn't tell anyone i needed a new hot water heater otherwise they're just annoying the heck out of people <laughs> you got something for me to do you know, So sometimes the people with you know, the gifts of administration and the gift of service kind of go together if they're both functioning in the spirit. If not, they just kind of you know, annoy each other. But these are really important people in the church because the, the people with the gifts of administration can plan all day long and if nobody shows up, it ain't going to get done. And people with the gift of service can sit around looking for stuff to do all the time and if you don't give them something, they'll just break something so they can fix it. So here's another one. I don't think anyone is going to relate to this, but I'll throw it out there anyway. I can find something wrong with anything, and I'm always criticizing everything. You can't watch a movie with me because I'm constantly pointing out how unrealistic this is in the movie. I'm especially difficult to discuss politics with as everything is either completely black or white, right or wrong, there's no middle ground. You don't want to listen to worship songs with me. Do you hear what they just said? That's not what the Bible says about that. How dare they sing that? What's the matter with them? Did you look at what she's wearing today? What is the matter with some people? Oh my goodness. Why did he get up and leave in the middle of service? What's the matter with him? So these are people with the gift of discernment. People with the gift of discernment have a really strong sense and a good understanding of right and wrong. If they're not functioning in the spirit, they have no concept of the notion of picking battles. Every battle is a battle to the death. (laughs) We're going to church camp. Your shorts will be this length. That's how I grew up. I mean, literally, there were people at church camp that would run around with rulers. And if your shorts were a quarter inch too long, you're going back to the cabin, mister. I'm just like, okay, I understand the fact that things need to be covered, but come on, quarter inch, really? Go away. <laughs> Folks with the gift of discernment, some, some, some people call it discerning spirits, are very good at spotting error. Especially in theology and teaching and things like that. It's, it's very important for them that their compass points to the cross and that they use the Bible as their ultimate standard as they seek to use their gift to protect others from false teaching. These are very important people to have around because this is, these are the watchdogs at the door that make sure that what's being preached up here is right preaching. Um, but if, if, if they wander off in the weeds, it's not fun at all. You really don't want to go to church with one of these people if they're not acting in their gift because ain't nothing going to be right. No, we don't know anything about that, right? No one's ever met someone like that. I didn't think so. That was just, you know, extra. So, is my gift important? Yes. There's that list. I talked about how we tend to think that some of them are cool and some of them are dumb or whatever. Every single gift up there is important. And I already talked about it a little bit. The People with the gift of administration can plan whatever they want. The people with service gift of service don't show up, it won't get done. Guess what? Those are the two people that make everything up here happen. I mean, we tend to think, oh, I want the gift of tongues, or I want the gift of preaching, or I want the gift of teaching, or I want this gift or that gift. I mean, that's all fine, but those things don't happen on their own. The intent of all the spiritual gifts is the building up of the body of Christ. There are no insignificant gifts. We need everyone to function in their gift for the church to flourish. You know, in a lot of Paul's teachings about the body of Christ, he gets very anatomical. And so he talks about the head and the hands and the feet and all these different things. And we understand that. We understand that our head has to work for the rest of us to work. And and speaking metaphorically, our heart has to work for everything to work and to work appropriately and, and well and not be a jerk. Um, and our feet need to work and our hands need to work and all this different stuff. But the, but the reality is everyone likes these upfront gifts, these, these out in front that you can see gifts and they forget that sometimes the gifts that you don't see are just as important. You know, in his anatomical talking, Paul talks about those, those, the, the, those parts of the body that are okay to be seen are seen by everybody, but there are those parts of the body That are not okay to be seen and they require special modesty. I don't think anyone would say that their parts that require special modesty are less important than the parts that you can see. And it's the same way with spiritual gifts in the church. The point is not to make me look good or feel important. The point is to build up the body of Christ. You'll never find more fulfillment, more joy, see lives changed more or accomplished more for the kingdom of God than when you're operating in your spiritual gift. It's about walking in faith, not working harder or grunting louder. So what are you waiting for? Maybe you're sitting here going, I haven't figured out my spiritual gift. So what are you waiting for? Show up next week and, and, and take a test and figure out what your spiritual gift is. Or there's always something going on here. So just join in something that's happening and just let them know you know dr dave said i'm supposed to try some different things to find my spiritual gift i have no idea if i am going to like what you're doing or not so if i don't i'll let you know please don't take it personally and if i you know and you know try some things but don't just sit there and go i don't know my spiritual gift so i can't do anything yeah you can just go do something or maybe you just need to talk to your friend or your spouse or whatever and say how am i annoying you today So maybe that's my spiritual gift. Yes, you have the spiritual gift of annoying people. Ask God to show you what you need to do in order to trust him with your gift and begin ministering to the body of Christ. If all you're doing is sitting around waiting for lightning to strike you in the head and then you'll know what your spiritual gift is, you're gonna be sitting a long time. You need to do something, take a test, talk to your friend, try some things out, get out, engage your spiritual gift, trust God to grow your gift, help build up the body of Christ, and hopefully stop annoying.
0: That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch.